0: Lord, we're grateful for the stories that we hear, stories old and stories new. We're grateful that you, the same God who took the very scriptures, ancient stories, and you brought them to life, are bringing them to life among the people of this community even now. You are resurrecting people. That is what we mean when we say that we long for transformation. We want to know who you are, but we want to know who we are in light of you. And in transformation, we believe that you are not just making us more like Jesus. You are, in fact, helping us to know ourselves, and you are inviting us to be the best versions of ourselves. That is what we believe that the scriptures mean when it says that you are making all things new. This is what we believe the ancients understood, and that's why they sang sang psalms like uh, Psalms 147. And so this is our psalm here tonight, and we sing it in our hearts. We sing, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How delightful and how fitting. The Lord is rebuilding us and bringing the exiles back home. He heals the brokenhearted, he bandages their wounds, he counts the stars, and he, he knows them all by name. How great is our Lord, his power is absolute, his understanding is beyond comprehension. The Lord supports the humble, but he brings the wicked down to the dust. So we sing out our thanks to the Lord. We sing our praises to our God with instruments he covers the heavens with clouds, provides the rain for the earth, makes the green grass grow in mountain pastures. He gives food to the wild animals and feeds the young ravens when they cry. He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or in human might. Now, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. So glorify the Lord with me. Praise your God, for he has strengthened the bars of your gates and blessed your children within your walls. He sends peace across your nation and satisfies your hunger with the finest wheat. He sends his orders to the world, how swiftly his word flies. He sends the snow like white wool. He scatters frosts upon the ground like ashes. He hurls the hail like stones. Who can stand against his freezing cold? And then... At his command, it all melts. He sends the winds and then the ice thaws. He has revealed his words to Jacob and his descendants and his decrees and regulations to all of Israel and the rest of the earth. He has not done this for any other nation. They do not know his regulations. But today we gather and we praise the Lord. So we pray these things in the strong name of the one who hears and the one who listens. Amen.
1: Good evening. My name is Mikhail, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And I am here because this is where I want to uh, be raised and also raise my kids. So kids, you are invited, if any didn't get the memo, you're invited to go back with Pastor Hope. It looks like they all know where they're going so see ya thanks they don't need me tonight we are going to read from second Timothy chapter 3 and so if you have a Bible I invite you to turn there we also have ushers um, who can give you a Bible if you need one we read out of the New Living Translation so we invite you to um, pick up a Bible if you don 't have that one. there 's also scripture in Espanol, if you are practicing Spanish or if that is your heart language. So I invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of god 's word. In Second Timothy chapter three, we 'll begin in verse 14 and read through chapter five or chapter four, verse five. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is used to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry god has given you this is the word of god for us the people of god so together we say thanks be to god and you may be seated so we are continuing we're almost near the end of 2 timothy we've been studying first and second timothy the last six weeks together um and we're looking to Paul's words to this young pastor Timothy, to learn for our own selves how we can be faithful and even brave when needed. And this passage acts as a really great, succinct summary of Paul's whole message in these two letters to Timothy: "Be faithful. Even and maybe even especially, in times of adversity and confusion, be faithful." Don't be swayed by the people who are trying to improve upon the gospel or change it up. Preach the word you've received with boldness, not fearing the suffering that will come. These are strong words. And for many of us, 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 have been a significant cornerstone in our religious education, whether as children or later in life as adults. And many of us might be familiar with the KJV or the NIV, the New International Version, which says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For some of us who have had long history with these words, they are reassuring and they've provided us direction. They have reminded us that long-awaited promises can be trusted and they have at times served an anchor point for our relationship with sacred scripture. But for others, these words have been used as justification for weaponizing other bits of scripture pulled out of their contexts and launched with intent to wound or at least to shame and and that's a hard thing to get around Still others of us have heard teaching from this verse in particular that explains scripture as therefore the dictated word of God without error in any detail. And all of it is exactly and precisely as God wanted it, which means you cannot question it. It is not flexible. It is not open into interpretation and therefore very troubling. So I understand if we in this room come to this place and hear these words with a wide range of feelings and memories attached. I get that. I'm going to ask us to acknowledge what we carry with us today. Acknowledge what it is. And then just kind of dislodge it from (laughs) the inner workings of your brain momentarily and hold it in your hand, maybe even put it on the empty seat next to you. And I invite you to listen again. Perhaps we have listened the first time with our own memories and emotions and all of these past things that we've brought with us kind of drowning out the sound of scripture itself. And so I want to ask you to listen again. I may even invite you, if you feel comfortable and you don't think you'll fall asleep, to close your eyes while I read and listen this time for connections of thoughts and words you might not have noticed in the first reading. Listen for what stands out to you as really being the most important part of this verse, even if it's not the most familiar. Listen for what the Spirit may be breathing into us this day. And if you have a pen, you may even choose to write a word or a phrase down on your worship folder. As you hear, listen, as Joanna reminded us, listen. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I solemnly urge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not, Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. We can't ignore, friends, that our relationship with Scripture is complicated. For some of us, the second time through, there were different things that came to mind emotional experiences that came to light or were put to rest. Maybe it was even just acknowledging that we come carrying something to the text that allowed us to hear it a little bit differently the second time through. And perhaps you heard nothing at all the second time through because your mind was still wandering on something that was said earlier, which all the more says that we have a complicated relationship with scripture it's part of it i don't think that paul is telling us that we don't have a complicated relationship with scripture i mean of all people i think we can forget that paul Has gotten into incredible amounts of conflict. People have tried to kill him time and time again because he has a different interpretation of Scripture than the people he went through religious education with. I think Paul gets it. I think he has an incredibly high understanding of both the value and complexity of Scripture. So I think it is very purposeful and actually nuanced when Paul says, as it's said in the New Living Translation, that all Scripture is inspired by God. The the natural rendering of his Greek words is that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's reminiscent of creation itself, breathing life into Adam and Eve, breathing life into Scripture that breathes life Into us. Two years ago, uh, we spent several weeks of a sermon series digging into what we believe about Scripture and how Scripture came to us and our relationship to Scripture. And we felt that these were important enough topics that we adapted each sermon to have a permanent place on our blog. So if you were not here during that time and you're really interested, you can go back and look for those entries in October of 2017 on our website. But in the sermon about how the Bible came to be, Pastor Chris reminded us that all scripture began in the same way, with God, not dictating words into being, but taking the initiative to have a meaningful encounter with a human, making himself known, inviting someone into an experience. And then this was such a crucial event, this God experience, was such a crucial event that this person or persons didn't want to forget it, and they certainly didn't want others to forget about it. And so when this person or persons told their story, and they kept telling their story, And each experience created a new story and a new set of stories. And these stories were preserved, collected together for generations of oral tradition, carefully protected as they were told, memorized, and retold by people who were encultured to do a whole lot better listening than we customarily are. The stories provided shared language and history And they shaped individuals, and they shaped communities, and they shaped culture. And eventually, oral tradition was written down as well as spoken. But it was only 100 years or so before Jesus' death that all the scriptures we now know as the Old Testament were actually canonized as scripture, set apart that said, these are sacred writings for the Jewish people. And it was this collection of sacred texts that Paul is talking about when he talks about Scripture. They may have had one or two of the Gospels available to them or parts of the Gospel, but the New Testament was still several hundred years off from its canonization in what we know it today. And so Paul is saying that all Scripture is God-breathed. He's talking about the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the historical writings and psalms and proverbs and all of the prophets. This was the scripture, Paul says, that provided the wisdom for Timothy to receive and recognize Christ. But if that weren't enough, Timothy said, Paul says, In times, if you waver in your trust of Scripture, Timothy, you can trust not just Scripture, but also the ones who taught you Scripture, his grandmother, his mother, and Paul himself. Last week, Pastor Chris reminded us of these persons, Lois and Eunice, that are mentioned in Paul's letters And he reminded us that the gospel will continue and the church will maintain its mission as long as bodies, as, as long as, um, believers embody the message of salvation through our love and our listening, our willingness to suffer alongside others. And so Paul points Timothy not only to scripture, but to the ones who had embodied the meaning of scripture the virtues of scripture, and the courage found in scripture to him. And I love this. Because I think this is actually what scripture is in a nutshell. Scripture enables us to sit at the knees of our great, 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 more greats, grannies, and grandpas than we ever have time to get to. It enables us to hear and learn from, to be encouraged by people who have lived this. People who say, You want to hear a good story? Oh, I got a good story. You want to know who can be trusted? Oh, I'll tell you who can be trusted. When we read scripture, we can often feel like it is an individual affair. We can feel very isolated even. We have it on our phones and our tablets and we have individual Bibles that we read on our own. We seldom hear it read out loud and we seldom read it together. But really what we have in our hands or on our screens or maybe the little bits that are memorized lodged away in our brains this is a deep, rich web of connectedness. Scripture is relationship. And it is an invitation from past generations and from God, God's self, to join in the experience, to join in the imagination and the curiosity and the mystery and the exploration of life with God. Scripture is what opens our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts to experiences beyond our own. It's such a gift that we are not dependent upon the wisdom and the experience that comes just in our 35, 65, 75, 85, 90 years of life. We're not limited only to our own story. And we also learn about this God through the experiences of others who have encountered God so that we can recognize this God when God encounters us. And we learn about ourselves in the stories of the humans that have gone before us. Maybe even, perhaps especially, the ones who trouble us the most. It's kind of like sitting around Thanksgiving family dinner and that really annoying older relative shares your DNA. (laughs) There is something about you in that and you can't get away from it. And it is only when we receive scripture like this that it is useful. But let's be clear that it is not useful in our hands as if scripture were some kind of tool that we use to make something that has come to mind or to do something that we have planned. It is actually useful for the Spirit to shape us as we are taught what is true. It shows us when we are wrong. It is not for us to use to rebuke others. It is for our own correction. And I think when we begin to experience Scripture as the tool that the Spirit uses to encourage us and teach us and yes, at times, rebuke us, We enter into a whole new, beautiful relationship with these words on a page, and they become alive. God breathed. I feel like I had an experience like this just last Sunday in this room with some of you who were gathered. Every Sunday morning for the last five weeks, uh, this coming Sunday, the 27th, will be the last one, we are gathering to pray together um, at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And one of the things that we've been um, discerning together these last few months is some. we have questions. What do we do? In particular, what do we do when we are out of space? Um, And on that Sunday, last week, October 13th, We talked specifically about our desire to create connection and community among one another who are not like one another. But we recognize that there's a tension between our desire to have community and connection and making space for others to have community and connection because we are afraid of losing the community and connection that we have. And so we spent time talking about this and praying about it together, and our guide for prayer that day was the story of Jesus in Mark chapter 6, where he gathers a whole, well, not he gathers, a crowd of people gather around him, nearly 15,000, and he teaches them all day long, and then the disciples want to send the people away to go get food, also because probably they're tired, and Jesus says, no, 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 let's... Let's figure out how to feed them. And suddenly, fish and bread is broken and passed around, and there's this miraculous feeding of thousands of people with food still left over. And so together as a group of, I don't know, maybe there were 30 or so people there that morning, we sat in little groups, and we read this passage of Scripture a total of three times, and we listened for various words and phrases We wrote things down, we colored, we talked in our small groups, and then we had um, an invitation to share with the larger group what had popped in our individual brains and in our collective conversation. It's a way of practicing the ancient practice of Lexio Divina, which just means divine reading. So at the end of our time together, as we were writing notes, this is what the board looked like. These are the things that popped out to us collectively from our time with this story someone said it was really striking to me that jesus pushed it back on the disciples and said you feed them how are you going to solve this problem someone else said that their group talked about the fact that they were in a remote place that brought about incredible challenges but was also most likely very beautiful and in a beautiful event happened there Another group talked about how this story uh, reminded them of this contrast of scarcity that there's not enough to go around and the idea of abundance, that there's actually more than we could possibly need or want. Several groups, uh, individuals, said that Jesus' compassion is what stood out to them, that it was Jesus' compassion on the crowds that made him stay, and that propelled this miracle. Another group mentioned that uh, they were struck by the fact that having some resources, just some, became enough. It was a learning experience for the disciples, someone said. And then another said, I think this is multiplication By subtraction it doesn't make any sense that things being given away would actually multiply but that's what it's happening here and then that same person said oh man what am I being asked to give away shoot (laughs) we talked about the miraculousness not just of multiplication but also of generosity and someone brought up the fact that this was not an easy process, that it was a little bit messy, but that the disciples and Jesus did it together. And we all agreed in that moment, while we don't have a blueprint for the next, you know, six months or six years of the 8th Street Church, we don't have like a super fine, detailed strategic plan, much as I would like to have one. We don't because we don't want our strategic plan. We are listening for how the Spirit is directing us. And on that day, I think we all came away from this experience going, man, I don't really necessarily have answers, but my imagination is going I have a new perspective on this situation. Some people said, I feel challenged and conviction, but I'm also incredibly inspired and excited about what could happen. What if the experience of feeling like there's not enough and something that needs to be protected is actually an opportunity for one of the most miraculous things we've ever witnessed together? And I tell you that story because I think that is what it's like. When scripture is useful, it forms us, it points us in a direction, and it shapes our imagination, it shapes our conversation, it shapes the language that we use and the stories that we tell. And it's just great. I mean, sometimes it's really uncomfortable, let's be honest. Sometimes it challenges us and it pushes us and it's a little bit painful, but it's, in an odd way, that kind of good pain. It knows that we know that we're at least headed in the right direction and that if it's not the way that we have planned, then maybe it's going to be something even better. On the other hand... I think we also have to admit that what we experience together as those 30 people encountering Scripture isn't always how Scripture is used. And so I think there's a natural question that raises in me anyway, especially because Paul, all throughout his letters, is talking about people doing it the wrong way, right? Right? And so my question is, what do we do when people are doing it the wrong way? I have very strong opinions about the right way. What do I do when people are doing it wrong? What is our response to those who misuse Scripture for their own ends or fail to see the deep connectivity of relationship in Scripture and enter it into a conversation instead of just glossing over words on a page? or what if what do we do when we encounter people who seemingly regard scripture as completely insignificant and go about writing their own because i'll be honest there are people preaching from a theological framework that i personally think is completely at odds with scripture as i read it and i actually think that there are other ways of doing church that i believer wrong and dangerous but i i've been studying 1st and 2nd Timothy now for a couple of months and i've realized something that i didn't see before i don't i don't think that paul gives me or any of us permission to go on a public campaign of opposition. For as vocal as Paul is in calling out false teachers, I think we would expect him to give Timothy uh, some advice on how to debate these false teachers. I personally would have appreciated um, if he provided chapter and verse of scriptures that could prove them wrong and put them in their place and shut them up for good. You know, it would be even helpful to, like, get some coaching on leadership tactics about making your friends close and your enemies closer, or, like, how can you counter passive aggressiveness, or how can you, you know, woo people over to your side? I would would love to learn those things, but there's none of this. In fact, Paul never once instructs Timothy to even talk to these people directly. He mentions them by name. They all know who they're talking about. It's not just some faceless, nameless entity out there. But instead, all throughout Paul's letters, he advises Timothy, and these are his words, to avoid, to turn away from to flee, in fact, in one case, to run away. In essence, move purposefully in the opposite direction. Don't attack it. Don't get tangled up in conversation over the meanings of words and parsing out this and parsing out that and this. Don't don't waste your time there, Timothy. Don't tangle over words and novelties. Just stick to what you know is truth. Stay the course, and your life and your preaching and even your church you lead will become protest enough. Our life of embodied salvation, life with God, living the way of Jesus, tells its own story. And yet sometimes there is a day when faithful people are required to state a rebuke, right? And there have been times we've watched the church do this. There have been times when our own church has done this. But those times have only been made clear to people in the past and to us as well through Scripture. It has been the witness of previous generations that reminds us of our story, reminds us of who we are and points us the way toward faithfulness. And so it is through Scripture that we learn not only what to speak and what to speak against, but also how to do it with all the love and all the truth and all the discernment that the Spirit provides. And so with passion and vigor and the clarity of someone who is facing death literally sitting on death row paul says you can you can see the clap hand emojis okay preach the word preach it this is what you do preach the word preach the word when someone pulls scripture out of context and launches, a, and launches at a woman to silence her, preach the word that says there is no Jew or Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. In Christ Jesus we are one. And when someone twists scripture to preach a prosperity gospel or a nationalistic gospel, which there is none, or a racist gospel, which there is none, preach the word of Christ crucified, a suffering and self-sacrificing Christ who neither discriminates against persons based on race or nationality, nor does he call his disciples to do so. Preach the word. And it may be about this time where you're going, I am so glad I am not a preacher, because that sounds hard. Well, you're not wrong. (laughs) But you know what? Leaders are called to lead this way because we as a community are called to live. This way. This is for us. This is not just for the pastors. This is not just for the clergy. This is us. And we are only going to be as faithful and as brave as we know our own story which is actually God's story that we have been invited into. And so let's remember, as we prepare to come to the table together, that this is the story we remember in this place. It is the story Scripture tells of an almighty divine being who created the whole cosmos out of love and desire for relationship. It tells us the story of humans created in the image of this God carrying a beautiful and unique divine spark within them but who were deceived to believe that that was not good enough. Scripture tells us that this is our story that we are those humans who have lived centuries of disconnection from our creator and from one another it is this scripture that tells us the long history of a god who worked to make himself known to those who had disconnected themselves from him to prove that he was trustworthy by giving children to barren women and freeing a whole race of slaves and making food rain down from the skies in the desert. It tells us of how this God embedded himself within the DNA of humanity, not sparing himself any of the pain and suffering that humans encounter, but actually saying, bring it all on. It tells us of a God so filled with love that he, is not, that he is willing to suffer on behalf of those he loves. It tells us that we are invited not only to receive this suffering, but also to be changed, to become more like this God so that we too can be so filled with love that we are willing to join God in suffering for those that we love as well. And so I want to remind us, even as the table is being prepared for us, that each time we come here, this place where we receive the bread and the juice of Eucharist. It is in this time that we remember the full story of Scripture. But of course, we don't just remember it. It's not just like the words on the page that are far off. It's actually that we are invited into it. This story of generations can be our story too. Jesus is offering that to us. We taste it. We feel it. We see it. We touch it. We explore it. We question it. We join in relationship with it and the millions of women and men whose lives created and lived out Scripture to begin with. So it is their obedience and their faithfulness and their courage and their curiosity in living with God that has marked the way for us to explore this mystery ourselves as we join life with God. And so I invite us into a moment of silence as we remember our story and God's. As we prepare our hearts to come to the table together. Jesus, we remember that on the night you were betrayed by the very ones you came to save You took the bread and you broke it and you passed it to your friends and you said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And you drank from a cup and you passed it down and you said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so, Lord, as we remember your words and as we receive your gift, we ask that you would breathe life into your people. Would these elements today not just be what they appear to be, but through them would you empower us by your Spirit to live faithful and courageous lives as part of your story. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our bread is gluten-free because we want all to come. We want no barriers. And our cup is non-alcoholic for the very same reason. In just a moment, you will walk down your aisle with your hands cupped because this is something that we receive not something that we take when you have received the bread dip it into the cup and eat and then you may return to your seat or linger wherever to pray as long as you like when you are ready friends to receive and also join in this God story you may come